0: If you have your Bible today, go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Matthew today. Last week we started in Matthew chapter 1, right at the beginning, and as weird as this sounds, if you weren't with us, we talked about the genealogy of Jesus, and uh, it was the first time I've preached over the genealogy of uh, really anything in the Bible, and most of the time we just skip right on over it. We don't recognize it as God's Word because we just kind of skip on over it and think, oh, well, you know, that's... Good for maybe some scholars somewhere, but not for us. We looked at it and what it really means for us today. Today we're going to look at a doctrine of the church found in Matthew chapter 1 that's held tight as we uh, actually just sang about it in some of the Christmas songs here. You'll hear about it, especially at Christmas time. If you ever take a theology course or are interested in theology, you'll hear about this one doctrine found at the beginning of especially Matthew and Luke's account. Of the gospel of Jesus. So follow along with me. If you have uh, your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. The words are going to be, be uh, behind me as well. And if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can always hit that more tab, then events, and then you can find us there. Hillside Missionary Church, follow along with everything you'd normally find in your paper bulletin, as well as the scriptures I'm going to be using today. Matthew chapter 1. This is what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. We're going to take a look at this uh, probably pretty familiar passage if you've been in church for any amount of time, uh, especially through the Christmas season. You've probably read this passage and you've probably said, all right, that's, that's good. Let's move on. But there's a lot here that God wants uh, us to learn and to apply to our life. So before we start talking about that, would you just go before the Lord with me again in prayer and ask him for his help with that? Pray with me if you will. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's good, that it's perfect, that we can rely on it, that it is authoritative in our lives, that it's good, and God, that, that you haven't just left us here on our own. You gave us this love letter, this, this, this scripture, God, about who you are and what you want for us in our lives, and we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, as we talk about this, would you just guide us? Would you soften our hearts to what it is that you have for us? We don't want to be the type of people who walk in here and leave unaffected, or maybe get some brain knowledge and and leave the door smarter, but don't actually apply it to our lives. Father, would you help us truly apply this to our lives, that we may be changed. Holy Spirit, that you would conform us to your image, that we would be less like us and more like you, because of the time that we spent here together talking about your word and worshiping you through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Hey, have you ever been uh, reading the Bible and you came across uh, maybe a detail or something that kind of threw you off for a second? Uh, Maybe it was something in the Old Testament and it was talking about uh, 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 measurements or animals or uh, uh, rituals that they would have to go through and it's just kind of off the wall and you're like, ah, that's not really for us today. I'm just kind of buzz on past that here. Uh, Throughout Scripture, you'll find a lot of details and sometimes when you read scripture, sometimes it's really good just to get an overview, right? Just to, just to hear, okay, what is the story talking about? What is the context that I'm reading in? Sometimes that's really good. Other times it's really good to zoom into those details and go, why did the Holy Spirit lead this biblical author to include this one detail here? I told you that we would have been talking, or we are going to talk about a detail here found in Matthew chapter 1, That's really important to church theology. That's really important that even uh, Christmas songs will talk about it. And it's the virgin birth. Look at here in Matthew chapter 1. It says, The birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this. You're reading along here and you hear about that. And there's a kind of natural question that you might have, which is, why? Why is that so important? Why do we sing about it in Christmas hymns, that the virgin birth was the way that Jesus was born? Uh, You might have heard that before. In fact, I guarantee you, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard that before. You've sang about it in Christmas carols. But have you ever asked yourself, why is that so important? Like, why do we have that? Why do we have that in church doctrine, that Jesus was born of a virgin. If you have recited any creeds, many creeds will even include those, that this is central to what we believe about who Jesus is. But the question is, why? Why is it so important I want to point out three things about why it's so important here in the scripture real briefly here. And that's the informational aspect. But as we just prayed about, we don't want to just have brain knowledge. We don't just want to have information on our heads. We need to have that applying to our lives. We need to have that affect who we are. There's plenty of Christians out there who have plenty of head knowledge and don't let that head knowledge affect who they are. We don't want to be those type of people. And so I want to spend just a brief amount of time talking about why it's so important. And then use the rest of our time this morning to say, okay, so how does that actually affect our lives? How does that change the way that we live our lives and can glorify Jesus better? Okay, so the virgin birth. Why why is it so important? Why do we include that in so many things? Um, Many times uh, people will say, well, it's uh, because Jesus uh, is perfect and so he can't be born out of an act of sin. That's, That's many times people's answer to that, But I think that's kind of a warped understanding. You see, if Mary and Joseph would have went through their betrothal period, which it was very different back then, uh, many times marriages were arranged, and so they would go through this betrothal period, similar to our engagement that we have today, and then they would officially be married. The difference, though, is that when they're betrothed on paper, they are together. And so if you're betrothed in this culture to someone else, to divorce them is really to divorce them. If, If you're engaged in our culture today, you can break up, and there's no paperwork necessary, right? I mean, people get uh, engaged, and they break up, and it is unfortunate for their lives, but it does happen, and there's no paperwork that needs to be filed. For them, this is a serious step to have this betrothal period. In fact, Joseph probably would have been working on building a household for him and Mary and their future children to live in. This is a really serious thing that they're involved in. And so if they would have went through this process, become officially married, and had a child where's the sin there, right? This is the system that God designed, right? A man or woman would get married and, and, and have children. This is a good design. So there's no sin that would have happened. Whoop! There's my coffee. Hey, if you ever have coffee, don't spill it. There we go. We're going to clean that mess up later. But if, uh, if, if that were to happen, there's no sin that, that it has a problem there, right? There's no sin that would have happened. However, the Holy Spirit is trying to make something clear in the word here. It says this, that she was to be found to be with child, look at this, from the Holy Spirit. This is really important. And I think that we get distracted on some of the details here about why Jesus was born of a virgin, and we actually lose the spirit of the word that the Holy Spirit is trying to get across here, which is to say that Jesus is not just an ordinary person. He was not born like anyone else. In fact, he is from God. John 1 1 puts it like this that in the beginning the Word was, uh, I'm sorry, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later on in John chapter 1, right at the beginning of John's account of the gospel of Jesus, he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory as of the only Son, look at this, from the Father, full of grace and truth later on in john 3 16 you guys know this verse well for god so loved the world that look at this he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life this shows us that jesus is from god and not only that too but look at this it says that he was from the holy spirit this shows us that not only is jesus from god but that he is god If you look back in John chapter 1, look at this. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was. God, Jesus makes this very clear in John chapter 10. He says, I and the Father are one. And this got him in trouble with a lot of people. In John chapter 5, it records this, that this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling his own Father God, making himself equal, look at this, with God. It shows us that Jesus is from God and Jesus himself is God. Now, that's why the virgin birth is so important. It's because that Jesus is not just any ordinary person. He is from God. He is God himself. And I want to point out one more thing about why it's so important as well. Continue on here in Matthew chapter 1. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, this is the prophet Isaiah that he's quoting. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We've talked about this before, but this also shows us, the virgin birth shows us, that this came from the Old Testament, meaning Jesus isn't plan B. God didn't look at this and go, oh man, people sinned, what am I going to do here? No, no, no. He knew that this was going to happen. He knew when He created people that people would sin, and the only way around sin, the only way to forgive it, is to give His Son, Jesus, as a sacrifice. Isaiah again, this uh, Matthew chapter one verse twenty three is quoting Isaiah seven fourteen. He says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign: behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel." Hebrews chapter thirteen will put it like this: Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't have to change. This isn't a backup plan. Jesus coming and dying wasn't, oh, man, I can't believe this happened. I guess I'll have to go and do this. No, no, no. He knew that this would happen. The book of James tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Look at this. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. In fact, if you look at his word and say, "Um, you know what, that was okay for them back then, but things are different for us now. You're misreading what's going on in that passage because it is for us today God doesn't change he may fulfill what he's doing right he fulfills the old testament law Jesus does that but it's not a change it's a fulfillment so look at this Jesus isn't plan b and this is what the virgin birth shows us this is why it's so important because it shows us that Jesus is truly from God and God alone so that's why it's so important but what does it do for our lives Because we can put that on paper, we can put it in the creeds or the responsive readings or the Christmas hymns, but what does it really do for our lives? Like, how does that really change the way that we live our lives? today. This is really important because, again, there are plenty of people out there that have a lot of head knowledge, plenty of people who claim to be Christians who have a lot of head knowledge about who Jesus is, and they can recite the theology papers, and they can recite all of the documents backwards and forwards, but they lack relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus will even say in his his earthly ministry that there will be people at the end of their life that will come before him and say, I've done all these things so good for you, Jesus. I've, done, I've cast out demons in your name. And Jesus will say, yeah, but I, I never knew you. And so as Christians today, we don't want to be those people that never knew Jesus, that only knew about Jesus. We want to be people who know and follow Jesus, that allow him to change our lives. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I want to look at Joseph. Joseph got this word, And he reacts a little bit differently than I think that we would probably expect him to react. let's just go back to our scripture. It says uh, in in verse 19 that Joseph, finding this information out about his betrothed Mary, was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. I want you to think about this just for a moment because we read this and we, we move on. But I want you to just put yourself in Joseph's shoes just for a moment. Um, you had maybe have known, and, and there's probably a, a setup here. Is probably um, their their parents or some type of arranged marriage is going on that just would have been common uh, back in that day. So Joseph would have known that he was going to marry Mary for a long, long time, and then they finally get official. They finally become betrothed, and he starts working on a house, right? And I could imagine like if, if you've ever built something. Uh, you kind of imagine, like, using this, right? Um, I, I built a uh, custom vanity for our bathroom this past summer, and it was a lot of work. I don't recommend it. It would have been a lot easier just to go to Menards and build something, or I mean buy something and build it. Uh, but as I was building it, I just remember thinking, like, oh, man, this is, this is going to be great. Put this here on this shelf, and I'm going to use this for this, and it, this is going to be the perfect size, and I want it set up just like this. I wonder if Joseph was doing that as he built his house, like, man, this is going to be my kid's bedroom someday. This is going to be me and Mary's bedroom. Oh, this is going to be great. Oh, you know what? We're going to put a closet right here. I mean, I could just imagine all of the things that are going through his head. And then he gets the news. Mary's, Mary's what? Mary's she's pregnant? Could you imagine the heartbreak that Joseph would have felt with that? I mean, could could you imagine the, the feelings that he's been betrayed? He would have loved Mary more than likely, right? I mean, he would have had his heart set on her. And to get that news, I mean, that would have been heartbreaking. That would have been devastating for him. And I could imagine, at first it was devastating, and then sometimes devastation turns into anger right? You're devastated at first, and you can become really angry at that person. I can't believe what you did. You betrayed me. You turned your back on me. You said you wouldn't do this, and you did it. I could just imagine the anger that Joseph must have felt. And yet, look at this. It says, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. He didn't have to do that. He could have made a public shame of Mary. And yet, Because of who he was, and my guess is because of what the work of the Lord had done in him, he decided, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to divorce her quietly. Why? Because what does Scripture tell us in the book of Romans? God says, let me have the vengeance. Don't, Don't repay evil for yourselves. Don't repay evil for evil. Let me have the vengeance, God says. I will repay the evil. It's almost as if Joseph knew that concept of the Lord. Obviously, he wouldn't have had the letter to the book, or the book of uh, the letter to Romans here, but he, he would have gotten that concept in the Old Testament that this is God's job and not mine. I think what Joseph got was that he was willing to humbly submit to God's way over his own. And as we look at this, as we look at this virgin birth, I want you to think for just a moment. Uh, my guess is you've probably thought of different ways that God could have done it. Right? Like, God could have sent Jesus already born. Right? He could have just sent him and Mary and Joseph maybe just stumbled across him on a, on, a, on a path or something like that. He could have sent him as an adult. Right? He could have sent Jesus. He's 30 years old. He's a grown man. And then he steps onto the scene. Right? And yet he chose not to do that. He chose not to do that, I think, primarily so that he would understand what we really go through, right? The book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest that's not unwilling or knowing of what we go through. Why? Because he went through everything that we went through, including being born on earth. Jesus went through that. He went through adolescence. Could you imagine little Jesus cutting teeth? Right? Have you ever had a baby that's like cutting teeth? They're teething. It's terrible. All right, we've got one right now. It is awful right i mean it's just it's not fun they're screaming and you're like i know it hurts i'm sorry and there's nothing you can really do about it give them a teether and that's about it right i mean jesus he would have went through that could you imagine jesus being potty trained you imagine something more frust- that's frustrating to be potty trained right it's frustrating to be a parent that's potty training your kid and you know, jesus went through that jesus went through being a kid and not knowing and understanding maybe everything that Mary and Joseph wanted to do, except that he was God, and he probably did understand that. And he went through adolescence, right? He went through adolescence and and the awkwardness of of things changing in your life, and then he became an adult. And at some point, Scripture doesn't record Joseph uh, when Jesus was an adult, and so at some point he probably lost his earthly father Joseph. That would have been devastating for him. He went through all of those things. He went through the human experience for us. And now he can fully understand who we are and what we go through. And we know that he went through that. And we get that. And we can rely on that, as the book of Hebrews tells us. And so we humbly submit to God's ways over our own. And when we look at Jesus' birth, it should remind us that we are to submit to God's ways. Because God's ways are better than our ways. But we've got to understand that fully. Romans puts it like this For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So we've got to have this understanding to say, man, okay, if I'm going to submit to God, that's an attitude, a, 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 a way that I live my life here. The book of James says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. First Peter puts it like this, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. Look at this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus himself gives us an example of what this looks like. Right before he'll die on the cross, in Luke chapter 22, it says that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Look at this. He prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He's talking about going to the cross. He's saying, God, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, let's do it the other way. And yet, he says, not my will, but yours be done. He submits to the way of the Father, giving us an example to say that we are to do the same thing in our lives, that we are to submit to God's ways over our own. Sometimes when you read through Scripture, you might say, man, that's kind of weird. Why has why God made such a big deal about that? Or I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. And it's okay to have those thoughts and wrestle through it. But where we need to end up is saying, hey, I believe in what God says because I'm submitting to His ways over My own, Even though I think it might be different, or it might be better a different way, I need to submit to God's ways because ultimately His ways are perfect and mine are not. So that's the first thing we do with the virgin birth is we realize that we need to humbly submit to God. Look at what else Joseph does. It says, As he's considering these things in verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. She will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, we read this, and this is something that we've read, again, over and over and over, and it's probably pretty familiar to us. But have you really thought, just for a moment, that Joseph heard from God in a dream? Now, um, I think for most of us, uh, I know for some of us, you have heard from God in a dream. I, I've, I've helped you through that. Uh, but I think for most of us, we look at that and we go, yeah, it's kind of strange, right? Like, does God talk to us through dreams? Do our dreams even matter? For most of us in, in our tradition, it's not something that we talk about very often. In fact, it can kind of make us a little bit uncomfortable. And yet, Scripture says that this is a way that God can talk to us. Now, we need to take... 1 John 4, 1, that we are to test the spirits. We need to take that seriously, right? And make sure that it's actually from God. Make sure it lines up with his word. Because God, again, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's not going to contradict his word. So we need to make sure that lines up with scripture. But if it does, we can be sure, okay, this is God's word in my life. Uh, Sometimes it's difficult to hear what God is telling us. Because we're so busy, right? Like, we're so busy, we're doing this and we're doing that. we got to get the Christmas gifts and we got to run to this to get together and go to that get together. How often do we really just say, God, what do, you want me, what do you want me to know right now in this season of my life? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to tell me? Which ways do I need to change my life in order to glorify you more, God? Not only do we humbly submit to God, but we also need to soften our hearts towards God. I'm sure that Joseph had a soft heart towards God if he can hear him in a dream. Uh, Again, I know that sounds really weird for most of us today to hear that. God can talk to us through a dream, but he can. He can speak to us through dreams, but we have to soften our heart towards him again and again and again. The Old Testament talks about that God will do this in the book of Ezekiel. He brings it up a couple of different times. God says in the book of Ezekiel that I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove a heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. He says again that I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone in your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Sometimes, and I think the longer that we're Christians, this is uh, more and more of a possibility for us, and we need to be on our defense for this, but it's so easy to have a hardened heart towards the Lord. You no, know, this is what we do every Sunday. We get up, we go to church, this is what we do before meals, we pray. This is what we do every morning, we're going to read our Bible and pray, okay, this is my normal routine, and God just becomes a routine to us, or God becomes a, a list of theological beliefs to us. But if we're truly going to follow Jesus here, we need to realize, hey, we need a soft heart towards God. Again, in the Old Testament, through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, that they shall be my people and I will be their God, and they shall return to me with their whole heart. This is the heart that we need, guys, to say, God, I give you everything that I have, and I need you to change who I am from the inside out. And this isn't easy. Paul will tell the church in Corinth that the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, this is an attitude that we live our lives with to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? I want a soft heart. Help me to have that. Don't uh, allow me to get into the routines of life and make you a a list of theological beliefs and that's it, or information only, but help me to apply this to our lives. God, help me with this. So we humbly submit to God and we soften our hearts towards him. And Joseph, he doesn't just hear from God either. Look at verse 24 with me. He says, uh, When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. Joseph wakes up from a dream. Have you ever woken up from a dream and you're like, that was weird? I once had a dream where me and my friends were all seahorses, and we were just floating around in an aquarium in somebody's family room. It was really weird, and I woke up and go, that was weird. And then I moved on with my life, right? There's not a whole lot of meaning to that, okay? Sometimes I think that Joseph probably could have done that. He probably could have been like, whew, that was weird. Too much weird pita bread. I need to throw that away. It's obviously expired. And uh, I need to move on with my life here and get on with my plan to divorce Mary quietly. But he didn't do that. He listened to the Lord. He not only had a soft heart to hear from the Lord, but he was faithful to do what God wanted him to do. And in our lives, we need to learn from that, that. Not only do we need a soft heart to submit to God, but we need to be faithful to do what he tells us to do and say, God, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm good with. I'm going to go off and do that. And the virgin birth, Jesus' birth, should remind us that we should be faithful with what he tells us to do, even if it's something small. Remember what Jesus says about doing things, even if they're small, being faithful with them. He says in Luke sixteen ten, the one who is faithful with very little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with very little is also dishonest with much. Even if it's something small, we say, God, I am faithful to this, to whatever you want me to do. And I'm going to hold fast to that, as the book of Hebrews tells me to, to hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is a great way that we keep our hearts soft towards the, Lord, towards the Lord, is that we continue doing what he tells us to do. There's no quicker way, in my opinion, there's no quicker way to a hardened heart than hearing what God wants you to do And not doing it. That is a highway to have a hardened heart towards God. Because the next time he calls you to do something, his voice gets a little bit quieter in your head. And then you don't do it. And because you didn't do it, his voice gets a little bit even quieter. Why? Because sin separates you from the Lord. Don't allow the enemy to separate you from the Lord by not doing what he calls you to do. Hold fast to being faithful, as the book of Hebrews tells us to psalm 31 will remind us to love the lord all you his saints the lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride don't act in pride remain faithful so do what god tells you to do and here's the last thing i want to point out one more thing to you before before we uh, have to close out today back in matthew chapter 1 verse 22 It says all this took place to fulfill what the lord had spoken by the prophet we remember this quoted isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which means god with us i want you to think about this just for a moment um at the end of the uh, old testament there is a portion uh, in, in time that god really didn't do a whole lot uh, to the, with the nation of Israel. In fact, for about 400 years, they call it the period of silence. This is right before Jesus will come to be born from Mary. There's about 400 years where Jesus didn't speak through any prophets. There, there was no prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord. There's no new information, no new regulations, no nothing, no news, nothing. There was silence. Now, I would imagine that some people's attitudes towards god would maybe think man god isn't for us any longer remember god chose israel to enact his plan of salvation for all of mankind not just for israel but for all of mankind and my guess is there were some people who thought man we've been too unfaithful Um, we've turned away too many times and yeah, God gave us back this land. Remember, we talked about the, the process in the Old Testament where they were unfaithful, they were exiled out of their land, and eventually they, they got that back. But man, I, I could almost imagine that there's like this little asterisk in their mind. Like, yeah, this is ours, but we were pretty unfaithful with it. And you know, God's a gracious, merciful God, and he gave it back to us. But I think this whole plan of salvation, I, I, I think that's just totally done. God's kind of done with us as a nation. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And you see this, that they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I could only imagine that for the people of Israel, that when they heard this news, it was like something awakened within them. Like their hearts were suddenly softened, and they said, wait, God, God's not? God's not done with us. God isn't done with us. He, he hasn't written us off, like the plan that he started. He wants to fulfill. He wants to finish. He, this is actually happening. Yeah, I thought it was going to happen a different way, but it's happening this way. And I'm cool with that. Like, this is awesome. This is amazing. This is going to happen. And for all of our lives, sometimes we think that God, man, he's just done with us. Maybe you have gone through a period in your life, a season in your life, with in your relationship with the Lord where maybe, man, things are just kind of dry. The things are like, yeah, we're kind of going through the motions, and I just don't feel God anymore, right? Like, sometimes, like, right when we're saved, it's just awesome. Like, man, you're in the Bible every day, and, like, you're doing what God tells you to do, and you're like, man, this is amazing, this is, this is fantastic, this is a brand new life that He's given us. And then, like, the years start to roll on by, and the decades start to roll on by, and it just kind of starts to be routine, and you're like, yeah, I guess, yeah, God might want to do something through me, but, you know, I'm just going to get up. You know, get ready, take the kids to school, drop them off, go to work, pick them up, eat dinner, go to bed. Right? Like, that's just kind of normal life, and it is what it is. And, you know, like, I'm sure God wants to do some amazing things, but, you know, I don't know if he's actually going to do them or not. I think that we can relate with the same feeling that the Israelites had when they heard God with us. The last thing that I think when we look at Jesus' birth and we look at the virgin birth, the last thing about how it actually applies to our lives, the last thing that it changes within us is that we need to remember God isn't just out there. God isn't just enacted His plan for all of humanity. It's for each and every single one of us. And God is with us and He's not finished with us all the way back In the Old Testament, He said, this is what I'm going to do. And throughout the 400 years of the period of silence, He said, I'm still with you, Israel. And He says to each and every one of us, I'm still with you. I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you yet. I've been faithful to start my relationship with you. I'm going to be faithful to work within your life. Just like He did to Joshua when they're coming back in the promised land. Look at this. Jesus says, Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God said that to Joshua. I'm with you. And he says that to each and every one of us as well. I am still with you. Psalm 23 says the Lord is my shepherd. What does a shepherd do for the sheep? He's with them. He walks alongside with them. He keeps them out of danger. He protects them from the enemy. And he shepherds us as well. He walks alongside us and he says, hey, I'm still with you. I know you've messed up. I know you've sinned. I know your life isn't exactly what you thought your life would look like at this point, And I'm still with you. I haven't given up on you. Jesus, after he dies on the cross, he sacrifices himself on the cross, raises up three days later and spends some time with his disciples. And then right before he'll ascend back to heaven, He will tell them this, the Great Commission. He will say, go therefore and make all disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Look at this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus wasn't just here for 33 years on the face of the planet. He's with us now. He's within each and every one of us believers. And he says, I still care about you. I still love you. I still want a relationship with you. And the birth of Jesus reminds us of that. It reminds us that we are to submit to his ways over our own. That We should soften our hearts towards God to do what he tells us to do. And remember that he is with us. This is why I think it's a great tradition that we have, that we celebrate this each and every year. Because it reminds us, God's not done with you. God's not finished with you. And no matter what you feel like today, no matter what the enemy has tried to convince you of, God is not done with you yet. He's walking alongside you as a good shepherd walks alongside his sheep. And he says, I still love you. I still want a relationship with you. And I still want to work with you within your life, to do amazing, amazing things, to build up my kingdom for your good and my glory. That's what Jesus says to each and every one of us. I'm still with you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that you haven't left us, but that, God, you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son to die on a cross, God, man, that, that must have been so hard to watch your child in pain suffer. But God, you knew that there was a reason behind it. You knew that it would provide the free gift of forgiveness to each and every one of us today. God, we thank you so much for that. I pray that we wouldn't become Christians who have hardened hearts towards that message. But God, that every year when we celebrate this, we would soften our hearts towards this and remind ourselves that you are with us, that you care about us, that you aren't finished with us, that you are faithful to finish the work that you started in our lives. And so, Jesus, I just pray for anyone here who haven't, hasn't given your, their life to you yet. I pray that today would be their day where they accept you, Jesus, as the Lord and Savior. I pray for anyone here today who said, man, I have that heart and heart towards you, and I need you, God, to come in and to soften it again, because I've turned away from you again and again and again, and I need you, Jesus. I need you in my life. Help us, God, to remain soft towards you, towards your leading Holy Spirit, that we may hear everything that you say, and we may do everything you tell us to do. Jesus, would you guide us? Help us to do that this Christmas season. And again, we just thank you so much for everything you've done for us. Help us to live our our lives in a way that would not only recognize that, but would glorify you because of it, Jesus. We love you because you first loved us. Again, we just pray that you would guide us, Holy Spirit, to do what you're calling us to do. And it's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.